Welcome to the Cancer Care Connect workshop. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. During the workshop, you will hear from our panel of expert speakers. We will allow time for questions and comments following the presentation. Instructions will be given at that time. If anyone should require assistance during the workshop, please press star then zero on your touchtone telephone. As a reminder, this workshop is being recorded. I would like to introduce your moderator for today's workshop, Dr. Carolyn Mesner, Senior Director of Education and Training at Cancer Care. Please go ahead. Well, thank you so much, Rob, and I too would like to welcome everyone to today's Cancer Care Connect Education Workshop for caregivers coping with a loved one's metastatic prostate cancer. And this is part two of living with metastatic prostate cancer. And today's program is supported by Bristol-Myers Squibb, Estella Scientific and Medical Affairs, Inc., and Medivation, grant from Genentech, and an educational grant from Janssen Biotech, Inc., administered by Janssen Scientific Affairs, LLC. I really want to thank them for their support of today's program. Now, we have so many of you on the call today. Um, we have on the call today over 200 participants on the call, and you come from all the United States, from both urban, rural, suburban, and frontier communities. And we also have a number of international uh, participants on the call from France, Kenya, Malawi, Mauritius, Nigeria, Vietnam, and the United Kingdom. So it is truly a global call as well. And I'm really delighted to have all of you on the call today. And now it's my pleasure to introduce our first speaker. And our first speaker is Dr. Susan Sloven. And Dr. Sloven is attending physician, genitourinary oncology service, Sydney Kimmel, Center for Prostate and Urologic Diseases, Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center, Professor of Medicine, Department of Medicine, Law College of Cornell University. And Dr. Slobin will be addressing caring for your loved one with metastatic prostate cancer in the context of COVID, key questions to ask your healthcare team, and the important role of the caregiver with the healthcare team. It's really my great pleasure now to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, Dr. Slovin. Thank you, Dr. Mesner, and hello to uh, all the people calling in. It's always a pleasure to, to do this program and participate with my colleagues. I'm equally delighted to focus on the caregiver, and I think we have a lot of caregiver neglect. Uh, in the world of oncology, there's no question that we try very hard not only to take care of the patient, but also to be in touch with the caregiver, whether it's a son, a daughter, or friend, a spouse. The importance is of these people, <clears throat> excuse me, is, is really paramount to how we also are able to interact with the patient. So a very brief word about COVID. COVID is still alive. And I am a very strong proponent that all my patients and the caregivers be immunized against COVID for your own protection. I know that a lot of my patients in their annual trek to uh, Florida, for example, will bypass uh, taking vaccines, but there's no question it will uh, protect you from the more virulent forms of COVID and, and keep you healthy. And it's just the right thing to do. Now, 
are we treating people despite having had COVID or we are in the COVID world? The answer is yes. We continue to treat patients with chemotherapy, investigational protocols, radioligand therapy in spite of COVID being there. And so COVID is no longer a deterrent for us, and you should feel that coming in to see your provider is uh, very safe. You will be in a safe environment. Uh, they, each institution has their own instructions for how they would like patients to be in terms of whether or not they are lax in wearing masks, et cetera. But it is always recommended that if you are going to be in a healthcare center and you feel somewhat threatened by the environment, please wear a mask. It's perfectly fine. Nobody would mock you. In fact, it would be the right thing to do. Asking about certain things that bother you or your caregiver. One of my major I guess you want to call it pet peeves, is that patients who are very healthy very often do not like to take responsibility for their care. Very often patients come in and just by greeting them and saying, how are you doing? I've had patients literally look at their spouse for an answer. And what often happens is patients very often feel that they need to be really patients, that they're not really independent, that they're not doing well, or they don't feel well enough to take care of themselves or even ask questions. I want to reassure people that we really want to hear from the patient. And the reason is that caregivers, in spite of trying to be very helpful, don't always represent the actual problem that or the symptom that the patient may have. So I've had cases where uh, a spouse comes in and makes mention of a particular pain. And I'll give you very one quick example where on a weekend I was talking to a patient's wife who said, oh my goodness, he can't walk. Now the first thing I think of when someone says they cannot walk is that they're paralyzed, pure and simple, that they have some complication with their spinal cord. However, after asking to speak with the patient, I asked the patient a similar question. Your wife said you couldn't walk. She said, no, I can walk. I'm just not walking as fast as I usually can to the bathroom. So if you are a patient, please speak. Very often, caregivers take on the responsibility of calling the office and translating their interpretation of what the patient has in terms of a complaint. And sometimes we can be very misguided and go down the wrong path of evaluation, largely because it's the patient's spouse or caregiver's interpretation rather than the patient. So I always encourage patients to please themselves pick up the phone and and let us know what's going on. You should always feel very empowered to ask questions. If you are unable to understand where to go for your imaging or what imaging is being used, please ask. We have a portal system, so things pop up on the portal, and then we have patients who are just very unclear and they miss their appointment because they didn't understand. Please feel free to definitely call your doctor's office and really ask questions, whether it's about your treatment, the treatment schedule, the side effects. You should not be embarrassed and do not assume that your caregiver or the doctor does not want to know about your questions. We all do. And more importantly, where are we with the caregiver? We do not give enough love to the caregiver, and that could be, again, friends, family, etc. However, as I mentioned, the patients do have a responsibility, but 
the caregiver is really in, an ambassador to the healthcare team. The, health, the, the caregiver is really what helps us to understand issues that may be not brought out or presented to the healthcare team. And I can tell you that one of the most important things is getting to know the caregiver and also trying to work with the caregiver to make the caregiver's role easier. We don't want the caregiver to be the, the one person who is bearing uh, all the responsibility, but I want the caregiver to really let us know not only his or her reflections about the patient, the patient's well-being, but what can we do to make it easier not only for the patient, but for the caregiver so that the caregiver can really feel that he or she is making an appropriate contribution and not burning out from exhaustion. There are many different ways of dealing with care, and you will hear that from some of my colleagues. Uh, I'm hoping that what I've mentioned to you can be helpful and interpreted in the, in the right manner. So with that, Karen, and this introduction, I turn it back to you. Thank you, oh, thank you. Thank you so much, Dr. Slovan. That was an outstanding presentation, and you did set the stage for today's program as well. And I know there'll be questions for you during the Q&A. And thank you for highlighting um, just the, the needs of caregivers, too, that they um, sort of don't always get the support that they need. So thank you so much. And our next speaker is Dr. Guadalupe Palos. Dr. Palos is former clinical professor, protocol administration manager, Office of Cancer Survivorship, the University of Texas MD Anderson Cancer Center, author and researcher in healthcare disparities, caregiving, and survivorship. And Dr. Palos will be addressing deciding to become a caregiver, the unique stresses and rewards of caregiving. And she'll also be addressing coping with holidays, birthdays, anniversaries, and special occasions. And lastly, she'll be addressing helping to manage your loved one's prescription refills, adherence, taking pills on schedule, and follow-up appointments. It is my great pleasure now to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, Dr. Palos. Thank you, Dr. Messner, for um, the invitation to join this esteemed panel. Um, as Dr. Slovin discussed, patients and their families face challenges when making uh, important decisions about the management of this complex disease. This di diagnosis often requires a multidimensional approach to manage the symptoms, treat the disease, or deal with chronic conditions such as diabetes, as well as unexpected illnesses such as COVID or the flu. Dr. Slovin and Dr. Roth, excuse me, stress the importance of communicating with the healthcare team. Um, and they will all, Dr. Roth will also give some valuable insights um, into the role of telehealth. In the next few moments, I'm going to address uh, how an individual be decides to become a caregiver and the critical role of the caregiver during special moments in your loved ones and their family's uh, lives. So few people plan to take on the role of a caregiver, yet each year many Americans find themselves shouldering the responsibility of caring for a loved one diagnosed with cancer. The need for caregiving occurs across all generations, racial groups, income, or educational level, across family types, gender identity, and sexual orientations. With increased life expectancies and medical advances, more people need care for more extended periods of time, and family members are often the first to step in to help. When the task creeps up gradually or occurs unexpectedly, private 
providing care for a family member is challenged is challenging and at times overwhelming, particularly for those who still must work, maintain a household, and care for family members. However, with thoughtful planning, a strong support system, and a realistic role, family caregivers can give their loved ones the help they need without sacrificing their health and sanity. So I have a question for audience members. As a caregiver, do you feel you had a choice in taking on this role of responsibility? And as a patient, do you think your family member or friends had a choice in becoming a caregiver? And providers, would you choose to include the caregiver in all discussions with the patient? Of course, with the patient's permission. Informal caregivers, those of the family and friends that we're speaking about, are a valuable resource for their care recipients. Caregivers continue to be an essential component of our healthcare. And as was said earlier, caregivers are often underappreciated, overlooked, and somewhat invisible during patient-provider communication interactions. For today's discussion, the word caregiver is not going to apply to a healthcare provider or a paid, or someone paid to be the caregiver. It's going to focus on informal caregivers. The members of this unique group are often family members or friends who provide the care, typically or unpaid, or um, to someone whom they have a special relationship. So let's go back to the question about how who becomes a caregiver and do they have a choice in this? One study has, oh, there's been lots of research in this area, but one study found that caregivers who reported having no choice were found to face complex care situations more often and increased stress and strain. When asked if they had a choice in taking on the responsibility to provide for their care recipient, more than half of the caregivers felt they had no choice in taking on this role. Caregivers have multiple roles when caring for a loved one at home. They must communicate, negotiate with family members about care decisions, provide the companionship, emotional support, interact with the physicians and other health care providers. Well, those of you who are caregivers or recipients of care know what all um, the details about being a caregiver. So there are studies, though, despite the fact that all of these can sometimes be overwhelming, all these responsibilities and duties, there are several qualitative studies that have shown that there are positive aspects of caregiving. You can form closer relationships with others, including partners and children, greater appreciation of life, clarification of life priorities, increased faith, having more empathy for others, and better health habits. So we know then that although family caregiving has been associated with increased levels of depression and anxiety, higher use of psychotropic medications, poor self-reported physical health, and sometimes a compromised immune function, that caregivers can see that there is a positive aspect to having this role. So, um, in closing this discussion, I'd like to say that deciding to become a caregiver may be deliberate or unexpected. One caregiver summed up um, these questions of who can be a caregiver by saying, caregivers for the most part do not weigh pros and cons, they just dive in. Thank you, Dr. Messner, for your time. I'm going to turn over the program to you. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Pelos. It was a wonderful presentation, and I'm sure there'll be questions for you during the Q&A as well. Thank you. And our next speaker is Dr. Andrew Roth, and Dr. Roth is emeritus attending psychiatry 
Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center, Department of Psychiatry and Behavioral Sciences, Professor Emeritus of Clinical Psychiatry, Weill Cornell Medical College. And Dr. Roth will be addressing tips on working with the healthcare team to manage your loved one's pain, neuropathy, and discomfort, the role of telehealth and telemedicine appointments, and self-care and stress management tips to promote caregiver resilience. It's my pleasure now to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, Dr. Roth. Thank you for that lovely introduction. Uh, I would also like to welcome all of you on the call today and express thanks to Dr. Messner for the invitation to be part of this workshop. In my talk, I'm going to uh, focus on three issues relating to helping your partner and you cope with the prostate cancer experience. I'll first discuss the difficulty of coping with imp the impact of metastatic prostate cancer, including side effects and the hesitancy that some men have discussing these issues with their medical teams and sometimes with their loved ones and friends. Then I'll discuss some issues related to telemedicine, which can make many aspects of dealing with metastatic disease and caregiving much easier, but sometimes it can become more difficult because it's not as direct. And last, I'll discuss the importance of taking care of yourself so that um, you can be a better caregiver over the long haul. It's difficult and challenging to watch a loved one go through the physical and emotional changes related either to metastatic prostate cancer or the treatment of that cancer with side effects, um, many of which may be unpredictable. Just as it's not easy for a man to experience and go through these life detours and potential deviations to their hoped for life trajectories. Though metastatic disease may mean no likelihood of cure, it does not mean imminent death. But sometimes the existential fear or concern that every new pain or symptom may be a harbinger of the cancer returning or progressing or of potential death is frightening. Um, or maybe a man doesn't want to discuss this uh, with his care team because he just doesn't want to be a nuisance. He wants to be considered a good patient who's not a complainer. Men can develop physical symptoms like pain from bone metastases or neuropathic pain, which may be experienced as numbness or tingling, often in the hands or feet, but may be related to treatment or the cancer itself. These symptoms can interfere with their usual daily activities, and as a result, men may also experience fatigue, insomnia, or emotional reactions like anxiety, sadness, frustration, anger, or depression. It may be hard for your partner to accept and cope with these changes in himself. After all, it may not be clear whether these changes are temporary or permanent. It may also be difficult for you as a caregiver to identify these changes as perhaps related to the cancer or for you to try to help manage them and perhaps to adjust to a different quality of life for him and therefore for you. Many men get upset that they no longer feel in control of their own destinies. Couples often cope with concrete and intangible losses, some real and some feared, that need to be acknowledged and perhaps prepared for. I think good communication is key to getting through these challenges with fewer conflicts and arguments and disenchantment in life. Many men don't want to acknowledge or communicate about these issues because they feel weak or embarrassed or shamed, whether from having pain, fatigue, or other symptoms that they cannot easily overcome. Your partner may discuss these frustrations directly with you, their closest confidence, or perhaps passively through moaning, groaning, or TV room seclusion, but they do not always want to let their oncology teams know. You could ask, 
If this was your friend Bobby, would you want him to feel so embarrassed about his illness that he suffers with it alone? Or isn't 30 minutes with our grandchildren better than nothing? It can be helpful to ask the medical team about the range of side effects that are expected and the range of timelines for recovery in terms of intensity, speed, duration, quality, and completeness, or lack thereof for recovery. How will we know if he is getting better or worse? Those things uh, medical teams can put into more concrete terms uh, for both um, the caregiver and for the patient. Caregivers understandably feel that if the medical team doesn't know what's happening, they can't help, and maybe they'll do uh, harm inadvertently. Some men want their partners to handle those discussions during medical visits, and others may feel mortified when they come up. It's good to know your partner, but important to discuss with them before the visit so you're sure you're on the same page and they feel a sense of involvement. Sometimes the elephant in the room is acknowledge a fear of, acknowledging a fear of dying. Sometimes the caregiver will alert the team behind the patient's back, thinking that they're doing a service for their partner. Though well-intended, this can often backfire with the potential consequence of eroding your partner's trust in your relationship and with the medical team. You could say, I notice how much pain you've had or how tired you've been and that you don't want to address this with the doctor because you feel embarrassed or fear they'll stop your treatment or give you different medicines with even more side effects. But I'm concerned that you are not doing much or enjoying much and that is not living and that inactivity and isolation can get in the way of you getting better. Maybe they can do something. Would it be okay if I bring this up at the next visit? You know, I hear that physical therapy and massage can improve some of these symptoms. Maybe there are even some medications that can help fatigue or pain. If you can do more with few or no side effects, it may be a good balance. We can talk this over with the team together. If you notice activities that your partner is not participating in fully, encourage patience and mild persistence with allowance for taking breaks. I like to say, start low, go slowly, but go. Think about managing these issues one step at a time, which is often a matter of tweaking rather than making wholesale changes. Reminding your partner that you've always handled challenges together and that you want to figure this out together may help. As a caregiver, you can rearrange social engagements to allow for your partner's decreased stamina or increased discomfort. For instance, it is okay to go to half a concert at the Philharmonic or to streamline church services or to just walk up and down the block, even for someone who was able to run a marathon in the past. Something is usually better than nothing. With adjustment, some engagement and enjoyment is usually better than none. Some of these issues may be easier to address in a telemedicine visit, and some are harder. Ask your team how they think telemedicine and telehealth appointments will work best. What kinds of issues should be dealt with in person? Many people love the convenience of an appointment at home, but they don't recognize there may be some limitations. It certainly beats the commute into the clinic and potentially long waits in the waiting room and parking hassles, especially if the patient has significant discomfort or compromised energy. Healthcare teams are getting better at figuring out how to best use telemedicine and integrate it with in-person visits, but it's still not ideal. Lastly, I'd like to talk about the importance of a caregiver taking care of themselves. If you become ill, 
it'll be much harder to care for your partner. Exercise, meditation, or learning relaxation, relaxation exercises, going to lunch or a museum with friends can be useful. Again, something may be better than nothing even for you if you don't have unlimited time. These days, you can find lots of free videos online for easy yoga, other exercises, stretching, or meditation classes. Many cancer centers have integrative medicine departments that can offer these services as well as acupuncture or massage to both the patient and the partner. Maybe it'd be a nice activity to do together. If you want to go out with friends and are concerned about your partner's safety while you're out, it's an important discussion to have, perhaps about having a friend or a family member come by for an hour or two to give you a respite. I worked with men with prostate cancer for over 25 years and wrote a book to help people cope with the prostate cancer diagnosis. Though some resist psychological help, many do not, especially when recommended by the oncology team. Getting psychological help doesn't mean anyone is crazy, but it may facilitate a better accommodation to a changing life. Psychotherapy may be helpful for both of you, either as a couple or individually, to figure out how to better manage this intrusive, unwanted change in your life that prostate cancer may bring. Thank you for your attention. Oh, thank you so much, uh, Dr. Roth. That was an outstanding presentation and a lot of wonderful information for everybody. And um, thank you so much. Thanks. Thank you. Excellent. I know there'll be questions for you during the Q&A as well. And um, our next speaker is Ms. Dina Smith, and Ms. Smith is um, an oncology social worker, and she is uh, the caregiver program coordinator for Cancer Care. And she's going to be addressing long-distance caregiving, managing family, friends, partners, and traditions. And she'll also be discussing Cancer Care's free programs and services and give you information about how to contact us both uh, on our Hopeline and website. It's my great pleasure now to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, Ms. Smith. Thank you, Dr. Messner. Um, so I first want to thank everyone for joining us today. And my first question for everyone here is, caregiving can look, feel, and mean different things for different people. But how do you identify as a caregiver? And what does caregiving mean to you? Uh, caregivers can come in all shapes and sizes. Uh, there are short distance caregivers and long distance caregivers. Um, a caregiver can be a child, a spouse, or a parent. Um, you can act as an emotional caregiver, meaning you're uh, lending an ear or a shoulder to cry on, or you provide practical caregiving, uh, meaning transporting your loved one to and from doctor's appointments or perhaps cooking meals for them. There is no right or wrong way to caregive for a loved one, but once again, I ask you, what does caregiving mean to you? I want to take the time to also acknowledge that caregiving can be stressful. Um, your relationship with your loved one may change. Um, your daily responsibilities may change as well. And how you self-identify may shift too. For example, perhaps um, you always identified as uh, your parent's child, but now if your parent is diagnosed with uh, cancer, um, you may take on more of a role of parent to your parent, which could bring up complicated emotions for yourself. Um, traditions and get-togethers may look very different now. Um, new traditions may need to be established, or perhaps one of you maybe wants to be social while another does not. It's important to be honest with each other, but also respect each other's wishes, wants, and socialization goals. Honest and open communication is key. 
But also remember, there are so many ways to alleviate caregiver stress. Uh, please remember to carve out time for yourself each and every day. And if every day is not, uh, is not an option, perhaps at least once a week. Look at your calendar. How can we pencil in or even pen in that time for yourself? Be prepared and organize. Ask the oncologist questions. Write down appointments. Reach out to friends and family members if you do not have time to perhaps make a meal or if someone else has to pick up the kids. Remember to exercise, eat healthy, seek counseling. This is very important. Practice meditative exercises, which you could learn in those counseling sessions or by yourself using YouTube or even the apps uh, Calm or Headspace. And my most, uh, my most favorite um, uh, uh, act of alleviating stress is saying yes to yourself and saying no to others. Remember, saying yes to yourself and saying no to others is not selfish. This is prioritizing yourself, which is needed. I also want to take the time to acknowledge that long-distance caregiving in particular could be as if, if not more difficult than short-term, uh, excuse me, short-distance caregiving. Uh, you may not know how exactly to help your loved one. Uh, you could experience guilt for not being physically present with your loved one. Uh, you may not be familiar with the local resources available to your loved one wherever they live. And you could also experience burnout symptoms, which are even valid for a long-distance caregiver and oftentimes does happen. But there are so many ways that you can still help your, uh, your loved one, no matter if you're living in a separate house, in a different neighborhood, across the state, or even across the country. Set up care for your loved one through websites such as My Cancer Circle and Lots of Helping Hands or even Meal Train. On these websites, you can invite loved ones to show the exact needs of both yourself and your loved one so that others can help take care of your loved one. Phone in when your loved one goes to doctor's appointments so that you can be up to date on what the communication is between your doctor and your loved one. Research and set up resources for your loved one, even if you're in a different state. This could be easy to do, or you could ask for help. Set up check-ins via FaceTime, text, or phone call with your loved one. Uh, we do live in, um, in a world now where it is so easy to uh, get in touch with your loved one very quickly and very easily. So don't be afraid to even say, hey, let's, uh, let's set up a call for tonight um, just so I can check in and see how you're doing. Please remember, all forms of caregiving are not easy, so be patient with yourself. I always like to ask my clients that I meet with, um, my caregiver clients in particular, what are three admirable qualities that you have learned about yourself while caregiving? Is it resiliency, patience, flexibility, maybe some kindness that you didn't even know that you had? Um, I encourage you to think about what are three admirable qualities that you have learned about yourself in this caregiver journey. Lastly, I encourage you to please honor the sacrifice that you have made for your loved one and reflect upon how your values may have changed or stayed the same over time. And with that, I do also want to take a moment to emphasize that cancer care is there to help not only patients but also caregivers too. Um, we do offer lots of free supportive services. Um, we offer financial assistance to people all throughout the U.S. 
We offer one-on-one -on -one and live group counseling services for New York and New Jersey residents, but we do also offer online typing-based support groups for people all around uh, the U.S. Um, we offer community-based programs to our New York, New Jersey, and Connecticut clients, but we also offer educational workshops such as the one that you're in right now. We do also offer resource navigation, and I do want to point out um, that this can be a very helpful tool for long-distance caregivers. Think of resource navigation as case management, so uh, you will be paired with a case manager or a social worker to help you find resources for your loved one who you may not be living with. We also provide a lot of very helpful educational material, very easy to read, uh, one to two page articles. Um, and of course, we will always uh, never say no to you. So even if we cannot provide um, the types of services that you need, we will always refer you or get you in touch with another cancer-based organization. Um, to find out more about our services or to speak with a social worker, you can always call our HOPE line, which is 1-800-813-4673. Or please feel free to uh, look at our website, which is www.cancercare.org. And with that, I will turn it back to Dr. Messner. Oh, thank you so much, Ms. Smith. That was really a wonderful presentation and very comprehensive and um, really um, highlighting um, all the different short distance and the long distance caregivers and their needs as well. So wonderful. And also highlighting um, the resources of cancer care. And now we're going to move on to the Q&A. I'm going to ask Rob to explain to everybody how to, how, to, um, how to queue up for questions. And we're going to try to take as many of your questions as possible. Rob? Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, at this time, we will take questions from the web only. You may submit questions by clicking Ask a Question. And this question is for Dr. Slovin. Now that he has pain in his bones and the PSA is 160, what to expect so that I can prepare for his care? Can you recommend books, articles, websites, or how, how should this person be coping? You know, there are a lot of books out there and a lot of, cancer care is wonderful because cancer care does have several little, uh, very, very small, I, I don't want to call them pamphlets because they're more than that, that talk about how to deal with certain issues. So the best thing to do, of course, is talk to the doctor or nurse. Most people who have bone uh, lesions do not even have pain, uh, oddly enough. Uh, sometimes the pain that they are experiencing is not from the metastatic lesions in the bone, but sometimes it's a combination of degenerative arthritis or osteoarthritis uh, that uh, goes away if somebody remains active. Uh, it is not a given that because somebody has disease that they will have pain. I can tell you that we do have what we call supportive care, which does not mean that somebody is end stage, but supportive care means that we have a whole team of doctors and nurses who have the specialization of uh, dealing with symptoms that may occur throughout the entire journey that the patient faces from either diagnosis until much later disease. We have pain specialists. I mean, there are so many people who could be involved that I don't want anybody to be shy, and it is not the caregiver's burden to have to deal with that. I think early recognition that a patient has discomfort is certainly within the purview of the caregiver, but when it comes to dealing with pain, we have all these people 
uh, who are there to help both you and the patient. So please avail yourself of this of these teams just by asking your doctor. I'm sorry to be long-winded, but that's the long and short of it, literally. Oh, I think people appreciate your answer, and I'm sure it was helpful. Thank you so much. And um, a question um, now for um, for Dr. Palos. Um, I am so exhausted, and I feel like it's negatively affecting the level of caregiving I can provide my dad. What do you recommend I do? That is a that's a good question, and something that we hear from our caregivers. Uh, you know, they're exhausted, they're tired, and the exhaustion can be not only physically but also mentally, and sometimes you know, emotionally and spiritually. So one of the things that you can do is, one, just take a moment and just breathe and you know, just kind of reflect on what it is that is stressing you out the most. Is it a certain task? Is it having to drive back and forth, for example, to clinics? Is it you know, um, having to do this and then come home, you know, be a caregiver, then go to work, then come back home and be a caregiver? Try to pinpoint the ones that give you the most stress. And once you do that, the next thing you can do is perhaps think about people in your family or your friends or perhaps even um, outside. You can call like cancer care and you can get resources. But think about who could help you with some of these responsibilities that are giving you the most stress. And so the last thing to do is the next step would be don't be afraid to ask for help. I, that's what I find many caregivers doing. They, they're not so much afraid also, but they feel guilty. You know, oh, I, I should be able to do this myself. You know, oh, that no one, he won't take it or she won't take it from anyone unless it's me. Let those type of thoughts go away. They're hard, but just try to, when you have those thoughts, just think about something else and just ask yourself, you know, what, you might even want to do some self-reflection. Why do I feel this way? And how can I let myself feel more comfortable so that other people can do this and I can get the rest that I would like? And that, I, that you can also do like self-meditation, um, physical exercise, if you can do that. Just And just to get away even for 10 minutes. Walk around the house, walk around the rooms, uh, go up and down stairs, whatever, but give yourself a moment to just break away and think about what it is that's causing you the most stress, who can help with that, and how can you let yourself let those responsibilities go. So It's not an easy task. I hope this helps. Uh, and, again, please be sure to use some of the services that have been um, referred to during our discussion today. Thank you so much. Thanks. Um... And this one is for um, Dr. Roth. I feel like my dad isn't honest with me about his pain because he doesn't want me to worry. How can I navigate this? That's a good question. I think um, sometimes it, it's useful to uh, be right up front and say, Dad, you know, um, when you're not telling me what's going on and I see you moving slowly or I see you um, groaning with pain when you get up or when you move, then I worry a lot. And so maybe um, it's not so much whether I'm going to worry or not. I'll worry, but I'd love to be able to do something to help you feel better. And letting me know where you're at will help me feel a little bit better. And maybe there's something I can do to help you feel a little bit more comfortable as well. Excellent. Thank you. Uh, that's very helpful. And um, 
a question um, from one of our participants of um, um, how can I find an oncology social worker? Um, and so, um, uh, Ms. Smith, could you address that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so in order to find an oncology social worker, I would uh, definitely ask your medical team because usually there is an oncology social worker in a hospital or in the hospital where your loved one is receiving treatment or the medical team may be able to recommend one if the hospital or uh, clinic does not have one themselves. Um, you can also uh, definitely reach out to cancer care because um, the HOPE line is monitored by oncology social workers. Um, so that's one way to also get in touch with a, a social worker as well. Um, if you're also looking for oncology social workers specifically for counseling or therapy, you should be able to um, look for one online. Um, there are organizations such as NAMI and uh, Psychology Today where you can filter to find who um, specializes in cancer and other chronic illnesses. Excellent, thank you. Um, and uh, this is a question um, for Dr. Palos. Um, I can't leave the house without feeling like something terrible will happen to my dad. Oh, I'm gone, even if it's just for five minutes. How can I combat these feelings? It's difficult and challenging to deal with those type of thoughts. So um, one of the things is um, to ask yourself, are there other folks that could come and stay with him while I'm gone? So that gives you a sense that he is going to be safe and that you can be contacted um, if anything happens. The other is you might want to speak uh, to the uh, social worker on your medical team or talk to um, one of your clergy persons and ask, you know, why do I feel this way? Um, I think that that's a question that has, it's very complex, probably has a lot of history behind it. So it's not going to be something that's going to be resolved by saying, oh, I'll be okay or he'll be okay, I can do this. I think it's going to take some time. It's going to take some effort in learning how to let those type of feelings go. Uh, and you may never really just cleanse yourself or whatever, release yourself from all of those types of feelings, but at least it'll give you an opportunity to get out of the house because as a caregiver, you do need time for yourself. You do need to take care of yourself, and you do not need to feel guilty about self-care and taking time like that if that's part of, of the reason of why you don't want to leave your, your dad. Um, it's very difficult. I will say that. Um, so please reach out to other folks to see you can get some one-on-one -on -one help or guidance to navigate these types of feelings. I hope that helps. Thank you so much. And for Dr. Roth, you raised good points about changes in mood, agitation, anger, et cetera, that may result from this condition. Um, can you say more about how to support someone who does not recognize that their mood is changing and um, so that they don't alienate others trying to help them? Yeah, I think... Um, <clears throat> Uh, it's, it's very complicated, um, especially if someone's mood is being impacted by the treatments they're having. Um, some men who have prost uh, metastatic prostate cancer are getting androgen deprivation therapy, which can cause emotional changes. It can cause uh, more irritability, and sometimes 
the last person to recognize it as the patient, but sometimes it's the first person to recognize it as the patient. And so um, it would be good to um, what I call strike when the iron is cold. So not in the moment, but um, after things have calmed down to try to address um, the issue of the emotions, whether it's sadness or anxiety, and to say, I've noticed that you've been more irritable lately. I've noticed uh, um, that you've been crying more, which can also happen because of various medications that men are taking. And um, to then think about, <clears throat> A, discussing that with the primary care team, because they may be able to make some tweaks in whatever is causing those emotional changes, but to also consider whether a therapist or a psycho-oncology person uh, would be able to help identify some of the issues that are going on and how to address them. Um, I think it's, it's doable. Um, it's uh, having some self-reflection and not necessarily um, uh, punishing a patient, which nobody wants to do, but if we're yelling at someone because they're yelling at us, um, it often doesn't bring a resolution. So waiting till things calm down and trying to address it um, then might be a helpful approach. Thank you. Excellent. And for Dr. Slovin, um, how much should I be learning about the, 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 the metastatic prostate cancer um, um, versus just being there for my dad? How do I balance that? That's a, a wonderful question, and that's something I deal with all the time in my clinic, which is people wanting to be doctors and unfortunately are not, and it frustrates them. Uh, you know, we uh, patients are looking at their reports earlier and their results. They go online and they come in extremely agitated and and fearful, as do the caregivers. You need to trust your doctor. You know, we are a team. It's not just one person carrying the flag of glory. We all work together to try to help the patient and his caregiver. Uh, it means that at some point you have to give up some of the responsibility to us. And I, when, when patients or their caregivers say, oh, I'm worried about what if this happens and what if that happens, the first word I say, it's not for you to worry about. I know you can't help worrying, but I said, it's my job to keep track of everything that's going on, even when your next Lupron shot is. But the point is, I carry the responsibility of dealing with the disease. If that's not your responsibility, your responsibility is, of course, to know what's going on, but to be there to make sure the patient is getting to the appointments, eating, drinking, and having a life. I mean, that's what we want you to do. We want you to live with prostate cancer, not in spite of, but live with it because many people are living a very, very long time given all the new drugs. So, And we want the caregivers to equally be part and parcel of the care. So in, very briefly, I would just say, please trust the doctor and the team to get you through all this. Excellent. Thank you. Thanks so much. And um, this question um, for Dr. Palos. Uh, my good friend was just diagnosed with metastatic prostate cancer. How can my husband and I help without being too intrusive? We invite him for dinner often, but nowadays he usually refuses our invitation. We bring him food once a week, but this doesn't seem like enough. He is living alone as his children live across the country. 
any any suggestions or thoughts from well, some thoughts do? may be um, you said that recently. So how recently? Because part of that uh, detachment that he's showing toward this is maybe he's just grieving, still grieving over his diagnosis. You know, so that's one thing. You know, just uh, give him the time to to grieve over this. The second thing is, if he's already started treatment, then it could be that he, you know he has fatigue, and the fatigue that our our patients experience is very different from the fatigue that say um, someone has from going for a run or doing a really good workout you're tired after that but if you rest or if you sleep or you know do something else like that then you'll feel better you know you you get your strength back again but remember that for many of the cancer patients when they have that fatigue it doesn't go away it stays so no matter how much somebody may want to do something they can't because they're so tired. So that's another issue to think about. The third thing is um, also look at your relationship. Did you all spend a lot of time together before all of this happened? You know, were you having outings on a, on a regular basis? And if so, then, you know, stop and ask, ask them, bring up the conversation yourself. Hey, I've noticed that uh, we're not, you know, you're not spending as much time over here. Or, Don't you like my cooking anymore or something like that? So where you can start opening up. The best way to begin any of this conversation is to first go to the source. Communication is so powerful. And it's really the foundation of cancer care. Communication with your family, with your friends, communication with, with the patients, with providers. You know, that you cannot let that go. So it's it's a series of steps, and I think you build on each step, and then from there, perhaps you'll be able to find out what the reason is, and you know your your friend will start feeling like he can depend on you in a different way now, not not the same way as before, um, and you can spend more time together. Thank you. Excellent. Thank you so much. And actually, I want to thank both our speakers and our participants. The questions are really great today. I have to say we've done this program before, but the questions today were even more amazing, that's all I can say. And our participants, our speakers' responses were, were incredibly helpful. So as we conclude the program, I'd like each of our speakers in the order that they spoke. So Dr. Slovin first, followed by Dr. Palos, Dr. Roth, and then Smith, um, to um, give just a takeaway that you'd like people to take away from today's program. So I'll start with Dr. Slobin. Well, I would say the most important thing is that you are not alone. There is help. All you have to do is ask. We are very attuned to stressors that occur in the family or with the caregivers. So please uh, allow us to avail ourselves and, and be there for you and the patient. That's what we are trained to do, and we want you all to be very healthy and be able to do what you really want to do in life, which is to take care of your loved one. Thank you. Thank you so much. That's great. And Dr. Palos? I would just like to remind folks that cancer uh, when you get the diagnosis, when the diagnosis of cancer comes about, it's a, it becomes a family affair. And that's why um, the whole definition of cancer survivor has changed to include friends and family. So don't feel as the patient that you have to go through it alone. And if you used to go, you're used to being independent and going through things alone, this is a good time to start learning how you can be 
more inclusive and invite your family and friends to come into your life at this point. You know, we all, you know, human beings need other human beings. And so if, if we try to do it alone, that's another stressor um, that a patient can have. And we know that um, the outcomes related to cancer and its treatment, you know, they have are powerfully influenced by someone's um, state of mind, the stress they may have. So that I hope that that helps. It's important to remember caregivers are important, patients are important, families are important, and the providers are important. So communication is a way to keep all this going and not keeping to oneself. Thank you so much, Dr. Dr. Pelos. That was wonderful. And uh, Dr. Roth, your takeaway? Uh, This is complicated. And no one should think that there's an easy uh, recipe of how to be um, a great caregiver. I think people are different, couples are different, but having the good intentions really does help. And when you have questions to ask, there are plenty of people, as you've heard today, from primary oncology teams to cancer care to other resources who can help you figure this out and to maintain uh, what you've also heard a lot about, a good communication, to be able to listen and to validate where your loved one is at um, and the concerns and fears they have, um, but also to be in there with him to figure out how to make things as good as possible. Excellent. Thank you so much. Thank you. And um, Ms. Smith? Yeah, thank you. Um, So caregiving, of course, can be stressful um, for many, many reasons. Um, But remember that it it doesn't have to always be that way. Um, I understand that everything may look very different now, especially those traditions that perhaps you held so close to your heart or even how you used to socialize um, with your loved one with other friends and family members. Um, So please remember, if it is... if it's feeling um, like a mental burden on you and um, you'd like something to change, please have that honest, open communication with your loved one about maybe establishing new traditions, um, how um, maybe one of you could socialize a little more, a little less, just to um, achieve each other's comfort levels, uh, respect each other's comfort levels, and to just um, promote a better quality of life. Um, furthermore, remember that long-distance caregiving is very difficult, but again, it doesn't have to be. Utilize those online support services that I mentioned. Call Cancer Care if you need um, further tips on how to long-distance caregive. And remember that we live in a world where it's very easy to um, use uh, FaceTime, text, and phone calls um, to immediately communicate with your loved one. Thank you. Thank you so much. Well, this has been an amazing program. I want to thank our speakers and the participants. And um, as we conclude the program, I just want to um, wrap up by um, reiterating what many of you have, many of our speakers already said, that we don't want anyone to leave this program feeling that you're alone. We want you to now know that you're part of a community of support and we're here to help you. So what does that mean? So you do have, of course, access to cancer care. And we also will provide other resources for you. So you'll be getting a survey monkey evaluation at the end of the program, which is an evaluation of the program. But it also will include all the any reference we made to any book or any um, website or any um, 
800 number, and even organizations that we may not have mentioned during this program that actually do offer support. So we want you to be aware of that. And, um, and we also want you to know that your, your healthcare team consists, I think as one of our speakers, as Ms. Smith had said, consists of many different members. Of course, your oncologist, but they also include um, an oncology nurse, an oncology social worker, patient navigator, financial navigator, patient navigator, lots of different people. So no matter what the issue is, you can always start with your healthcare team um, with your questions as well. Again, I want to thank you all for your participation today, and I want to wish you all a very fine day. Thank you all. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for your participation. This concludes the workshop, and you may now disconnect. Everyone have a great day.